Hello and welcome to the Wizard Staff. I'm your host Guy, and Blake has been lost in the dungeon. So I have with me Alex. Hello, I am Alex. We are going to be going over the other cards that Blake have not gone over. And yeah, I mean, we got a cool new set. We've been getting a lot of new sets recently, and I feel like it's just been reviews, reviews, reviews. But, you know, we're not going to dilly-dally too much, because, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, because Alex here is my dungeon master? We are the, we are or like, like, oh, oh, is that? Well, I, I'm not actually running any sort of uh, D&D game that you're playing in, so I mean, I guess whether or not I'm your dungeon master is up to personal preference. I mean, I, you, we can do, we I can mean, have that the, kind of relationship if you'd like. <laughs> you're, you're the expert here. You're the one who knows more about yeah, Dungeons and Dragons than right. I do. Actually, if you, if you could give like a small elevator pitch to someone who isn't into Dungeons and Dragons, how would you get them into Dungeons and Dragons? Uh, how would I get them in? Uh, <laughs> if so, if you have not heard of Dungeons and Dragons and you play Magic: The Gathering, I'm really impressed with you. I mean, I don't know. Dun- Dungeons and Dragons is is a really it's a ton of fun. It is best enjoyed in a in a group setting with with like minded individuals <laughs> who also want to spend several hours sitting at a table uh, discussing. You know, made up characters and and, uh, and fantasy worlds, but like it's 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 an absolute blast. There, it's a great outlet for for personal expression with character creating. It's a it's a ton of fun for like just exploring made up environments with people you like and just getting into trouble. It's it's a blast. All right, if you want to get into Dungeons and Dragons, feel free to explore. But we got this cool crossover where Magic: The Gathering has brought in. Uh, some characters and kind of like a lot of the flavor of Dungeons and Dragons into this set. So um, if you're not familiar, both of these products, so Magic the Gathering and Dungeons and Dragons, come from Wizards of the Coast. Both involve dragons, adventures, magic, etc. And then for several years, there's always been these like D&D playbooks of different MTG planes. So there's been one of like Ravnica, Zendikar, but now it's kind of the reverse, where instead of bringing magic into Dungeons and Dragons, we're bringing Dungeons and Dragons into magic. I feel bad because I had a very when when they initially announced this set, I had a very poo poo attitude about it, which is very which is ironic because like magic has been there's been Dungeons and Dragons content based on magic for ages, and there just hasn't been like a a set of magic based on Dungeons and Dragons. And I don't, I don't know why initially I was like what. <laughs> You can't do you can't do that. This this isn't the same this isn't the same universe I'm used to. What about my, my precious multiverse? That doesn't include Dungeons and Dragons. But it turns out a magic card's a magic card and you can still have fun cards based on based on whatever universe and maybe that uh, maybe, maybe the world does not have to be so limited. <laughs> well yeah, with universes beyond uh, also being a thing, I'm sure we'll see other what is it, like IPs making their way into magic. You know, we had Walking Dead We'll have yeah. Stranger Things coming soon. I mean, I have different thoughts on universes beyond, but Dungeons and Dragons, at least, it fits into like the vibe of magic a little bit more. For and, sure. I, and like as vague of a term as that is to say, like I don't know, it, it's not as 
Like, it doesn't stick out nearly as much as putting Walking Dead characters on magic cards. It's still fantasy stuff. Like, it's still wizards and necromancers and zombies and, like, fun, crazy things. Like, it, it, it's it's the same general creative, if not specifically the same, you know, two universe, same single universe. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. All right, so... Like we assume are going over the set mechanics, we're going to do like a quick overview of them because we don't want to waste your time too much. So the first main thing is we got dungeons. So on some cards we have a kind of keyword where it's like venture into the dungeon. There are three dungeons you can venture into. So you'll start in one room and then kind of make your way through these different mazes. Got Lost Mine of Pandelver. Pandelver. Tomb of Annihilation. The Tomb of Annihilation! In the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. The Dungeon of the Mad Mage. So, you know, these cards will exist outside of your deck, and you can just bring them in. You have access to them at any time. You can only start in one dungeon at a time. Yeah, some cards will just give you benefits if you've completed a dungeon before. Yeah. Really, really broadly speaking, the dungeon's effects are on average they're less than drawing a card with the exception of the one ending of the one dungeon that does say draw a card it's like the only only time they actually let you do it but i digress well that's not true mad wizard slayer anyways the main takeaway of the three dungeons like the the, the reason to pick one of the three because if i understand correctly you have to pick one of the three am i am i wait am i crazy hold on yeah you you get to pick one of the three when you enter you can pick the okay, same yeah. one after you've you know, finished it again, but you can only be in one at a time. Right. Okay. So there is, there is a, there's basically one dungeon that's like all around good. There's one dungeon that's long and has a great payoff. And there's one dungeon that, uh, is a little bit painful to go through, but is the easiest one to complete. So like, depending on whether or not you're trying to quickly complete a dungeon or just get a lot of value out of a dungeon, that's why you might pick one of the different three. Yeah. And we'll, we'll get into a little more of that where we think, you know, some of the, uh, commander cards or the cards that talk about like venturing into the dungeon might you know make you want to choose a certain dungeon over another mm -hmm. overall i think that these are not too highly pushed uh it's just kind of a fun mechanic bringing in the flavor of dungeons and dragons there's too much of a variance of you know what effect you need at that time in order to kind of get the most benefit out of it yeah definitely it's not so much that you build a deck around specific dungeon effects i think it's more that you just try and like if you look at the dungeon as just sort of a, a way of getting like really vaguely some kind of value usually then then that, i mean that's the way i would look at it you, they're not consistently doing the same thing often enough to like try and build a deck around activating a specific ability of a specific dungeon a whole bunch yeah the next thing we got is d20 so dice rolling finally makes its way into black border magic we've seen it before in silver border cards yeah not nearly so much though we're really going for it yeah so alex can you read us this uh example card that we have here sure our example card is a lightfoot rogue this is a uh, a two one for two it's a black creature. It's a halfling rogue, which is fun. Halflings. <laughs> we got those now. It says sneak attack. Whenever the lightfoot rogue attacks, roll a d20. If you get a 1 or through a 9, it gains death touch until end of turn. If you get a 10 through a 19, it gets plus 1 plus 0 and gains death touch until end of turn. And if you get a 20, it gets plus 3 plus 0 and gains first strike and death touch until end of turn. 
yeah, so you roll your d20, the outcome, kind of similar to dungeons, is always going to be different. And generally speaking, they are similar effects, where rolling a lower number gets you a less powerful version of an effect, whereas rolling a higher number gets you a more powerful, and on a lot of them, rolling a 20 gets you, like, the most powerful version of the effect. Right, because 20 is the, the critical most right. often in, like, Dungeons yes, and Dragons. Yes, if you do not play Dungeons and Dragons, the nat 20 is the phrase you'll, you'll hear a lot. It just means that you roll the 20 and the, a bunch of different things give you a bonus when you roll a nat 20, but the most basic one is you do double damage on, like, an attack or something. Yeah. Next, we got flavor words. So these are words that are italicized on the card. So, for example, we have plundering barbarian, two in a red creature, dwarf barbarian. When it enters the battlefield, choose one, smash the chest, destroy target artifact, or pry it open, create a treasure token. So, similar to, I believe, in Dungeons and Dragons, you kind of have these different options of what you want to do. Um, when you approach something. So this is just kind of also bringing a little flavor into the game. They don't serve as any, like, functional points. Um, Just super cool. Which, yeah, it's a a definite departure from how Magic normally writes cards. We we don't typically have, like, just pure flavor words at the beginning of, of abilities. It's usually, like, a specific keyworded thing that's that's meant as an indicator to be like, oh, like this is this is another landfall effect or whatever. Like it's, it's they're almost entirely functional, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like this. I know that some people it's not their favorite. I think like the more used to used to like normal magic you are, the more like you you have a specific idea of like what is and isn't a thing that Magic the Gathering cards do. Like I could see how you wouldn't like this because it is breaking that rule, but. This is a great reason, in my opinion, to break the rule. D&D is so much about world building and the flavor of it uh, and, and like just having fun than, than Magic the Gathering. Like, I mean, Magic is, is a lot about having fun, but like the gameplay mechanics are a lot of why people play the game, whereas in D&D, the gameplay mechanics more facilitate you having fun with the game. And so I, I like this slight... If small and if fairly insignificant, I like this change. It's fun. Yeah, I, I definitely think that this is a great uh, place to explore it. Maybe in other planes we could see this, but definitely for if we have a return for D&D, which seems likely since, you know, the set has seemed so popular, definitely bringing it back there. And then we got one new kind of mechanic, or it's a card type, actually. Um, it's the enchantment class. Uh, Alex... What do we got here? Why, guy, a class is a new enchantment subtype that represents the different classes in D&D. I think, you know, actually, I didn't fully check, but considering how many uh, how many different variants and, and add-ons and things you can do to D&D, I'm sure this is not like a, a fully comprehensive list of every D&D class, but this is definitely all of the main ones. I believe there's 13. Yeah, and honestly, I, I, I feel like I, I should be able to tell you whether or not that's all of like the classes in, in base D&D 5th edition, but I can't offhand. But they are, they are very similar to Sagas, functionality-wise. You play a class enchantment, and um, the by default, it has one static ability or triggered ability, 
and you can invest mana into it to pay to level it up, similar to like level up on creatures or something. Yep. And it has a, a additional abilities for level two and level three. So it just kind of shows the growth of your character, because that's a big part of the Dungeons and Dragons is kind of the the growth of you know starting mm-hmm. one journey and then you're stronger by the end. Yeah, and this is definitely like it's it's very difficult to to do leveling up inside of a magic game. Uh, in the way that D&D does it, where it's like, in D&D, it happens very gradually, and it's meant to show, like, the development of your character over time, like, strength-wise, um, and it's not meant to be, like, a quick system, like, you're not gonna, like, level a character up several levels in, in, like, one session of D&D, at least not most of the time, unless you're doing something specific. Uh, it, it is something that is meant to happen periodically over time over multiple sessions depending on how your your dm wants to run things um so putting it onto like a, a, a three level saga ish system for magic i think is a really cool way of, of taking that concept and putting it into something where like you can actually do it multiple times in one game of magic but it still feels meaningful every time yeah for sure all right, and with that, we are going to be getting into the blue cards, red cards, and green cards as part of our set review, and then all the other uh, multicolor legendaries that Blake didn't get to cover in their set review. So I believe we're starting out with blue. Yeah, we're, we get the good colors. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to start with legendary creatures, and then we'll go into the 99, then we'll move on to the next color. Legendary Creatures 99, etc. You get the idea. Yeah. Alright, Alex, who's our first card? Okay, first of all, the names for all of these are just going to be an absolute blast. Uh, this one is called Grazalax, Illithid Scholar. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure I got that one pronounced correctly, but I cannot guarantee that that is going to continue. <laughs> uh, um, this one is... It is a 3-2 for a 1 and 2 blue, so 3 mana, 3-2, legendary creature. It is a horror for, for I guess, any, uh, uh, you know, off uh, off chance you have some horror synergies, which would be very fun and very sweet and probably not ever going to happen in the deck with this. But anyways, uh, whenever, you, whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. This is, uh, sorry, I'll read the whole card before I start commenting on it. Whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its owner's hand. Whenever one or more creatures you control deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. This card is so annoying. <laughs> yeah. The um, whenever you whenever a creature you control becomes blocked, you may return it to its, uh, its owner's hand. Is one of those lines of text that seems interesting when you read it, and then I think when you play against it, is just so much more annoying than you expected it to be. The fact that you get a choice is 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 huge on this. If it was not if if it was not a choice, it would still actually be a decent card. I think just because the the getting a, a card draw off every time um, when I oh it's sorry it's one or more, so you don't get multiple when you swing out. Oh, no, oh, I slightly misevaluated this in my head. This is still very annoying. Yeah, I don't see this as like a powerful commander i think just kind of like starting out from the beginning i think a lot of the cards we're going to be going over are meant to be more flavorful none of them are like crazy powerful this this one kind of is like mid-tier to me you know i think in the right 
play group, this can be really fun. But I think that like if you have a bunch of really powerful, you know, sweatier decks in your play group, I think you're gonna have a little bit of a rougher time trying to play, especially as your commander trying to play like a mono blue like combat based like Trixie deck. I feel like yeah. that's gonna be it's just gonna be kind of slow um, against against other more powerful things. But like I definitely think this is a really fun deck. Like this is. This is um, the exact genre of obnoxious that that I mess with. Mm-hmm. I mean, you obviously will be running like Rogue's Passage, a lot of those like I think it's like Blighted Agents, the, those cards that can't be blocked. So mm-hmm. you can like deal. You can get up to three draws if you attack each of your opponents, I believe, um, since it's two A player. But yeah, yeah, mid tier. The- like okay. The real power of this card is, is in my opinion, the flexibility of it. The the fact that when you attack with a creature, you basically, like, you're almost never going to be really mad about the outcome because either you, it doesn't get blocked and you draw a card, which you're, which you're happy about. It does get blocked and then you get to choose whether or not you actually want the combat damage to occur or whether or not you just want to bounce your own creature. And in the right deck, both of those things could potentially be good, and so it'll put your opponent in a tough situation pretty much any time you turn a creature sideways at them. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the next one, which is part of our uh, mythic dragon cycles, and you know, obviously dungeons and dragons. There's going to be a couple good dragons here. So we got Imrith, Desert Doom. Yeah, Im- Imrith, Desert Doom. Yes, this is the <laughs> the blue. Uh, and I believe this is the, the legendary cycle of dragons, right? This is yeah, the blue one? The, it's part. Of, yeah, the mythic one. So we got it's three blue blue legendary creature dragon has flying. Uh, whenever it um, it has ward four, as long as it's untapped, and then whenever it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Then if you have fewer than three cards in hand, draw cards equal to the difference. So this is another blue mono. Another mono blue commander that wants you to it encourages you to like kind of do you know combat stuff. combat stuff yeah it's it's so I mean if I was looking to build a deck around this card the first thing I would look to do is give it vigilance like which is kind of a weird thing to be incentivized to do in mono blue but fortunately mm-hmm. there's definitely like enough like equipment and things that, that you can make it happen there's also Minamo uh, Water School's Edge which is a legendary land. Um, that allows you to untap creatures, so you'd attack with this. Then, at the end of uh, combat, you could then untap this as well. Ooh, I hadn't even thought of that. That's that is actually pretty sick. Because if you, if I understand correctly, if you untap it, how does Ward work? If, if you untap it in response to a spell being cast, would Ward counter the spell? Uh, that is a good question. I don't know. Ward's a little new still, so it's kind of it's a little tough. Um, I haven't actually gotten to play with any cards that have Ward. Okay. Ward is a triggered ability. Ward, and then the cost means whenever this permanent becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, counter that spell or ability unless that player pays the Ward cost. So, if it's a... uh, You, I think, would have to untap it before the spell is cast, unfortunately. So which you, is you a have lot to kind of to do. Yeah. Okay. That that makes sense because if it doesn't have ward when it's being targeted, because you have to declare the target when you cast mm. a spell. Yeah. So if you untap it in response to the target being declared, then 
uh, the triggered ability will have missed its thing that makes it trigger. It'll it'll have been untapped after the target. So mm-hmm. uh, that would have been really fun. Dang, I'm kind of bummed. But the, yeah, the, this is I think for me a bit weak for commander. It's just a bit slow. Like the I, I really like the the ward four. I think that's really fun. I think that that uh, they've done a lot of cool things with ward in this set. But the payoff drawing a card and then if you have fewer than three cards in hand drawing cards equal to the difference in a mono blue deck i feel like is gonna just be draw a card most of the time yeah unless you're really getting hellbent in mono blue but if you're getting hellbent in mono blue i don't know like you you, i think the the best shell for this would probably be something that um is the rare mono blue deck playing a bunch of, of permanents um, because you know if you're playing a bunch of hand trips, well that that's just going to fill your hand right back up. You can't play a ton of counter spells because you've got those just sitting in hand. That's if you're trying to make the last line of text matter. If you're okay with it just saying draw a card, then that's that's cool. But I, I don't know I, that that to me doesn't feel like a particularly particularly enticing commander at that point. And I, I'm fine with that too, honestly, because like. Mono blue often gets, you know, really strong commanders. So not, you know, this mythic being kind of like so-so here, like, no big deal. Yeah, yeah. This is way better for non-commander, I will say. Like, that, that is a, a much more of a, of a card we can talk about for, like, standard or something. But. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read this next card because I know the next card after this card is, you know, one that you really, oh, really yeah, want to yeah. talk about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, further down the page. Alright, so this next one is the Black Staff of Waterdeep, which I've heard a little bit about uh, in terms of like the D&D story. Uh, it costs a single blue mana. It's a legendary artifact. You may choose not to untap the Black Staff of Waterdeep during your untapped step. And it has Animate Walking Statue, which one in a blue, tap, another target non-token artifact you control becomes a 4-4 artifact creature for as long as the Black Staff of Waterdeep remains tapped. Activate only as a sorcery. Alright, guy, what do you think of this card? <laughs> um, I mean, blue's got a ton of good, um... You know, turning artifacts into artifact creatures. We just got that one from Modern Horizons that has like overload and it turns all your stuff into like artifact creatures. I would have liked this maybe more if it wasn't so much a always a 4-4, but you could maybe, you know, if you had like a big artifact and maybe like it mattered more on like the CMC, that'd be kind of cool. But I really appreciate you giving this the time of day because I oh. think this card <laughs> big time sucks. <laughs> It's a blue like, mana for commander. For commander, like yeah. paying a whole card and then having to have another non-token artifact to make a four-four, where your thing that generates the four-four cannot be used to make more four-fours while you have that four-four, is like a ton of work to put in to making a four-four. It yeah. costs at least three mana for the black one for the black staff and two to activate the ability. So you're paying three mana to make a 4-4 and you have to have 
another artifact. Like, there's so many requirements, and then there's, like, no payoff for me. Anyways. Uh, yeah, it, it's just okay, but from my understanding, though, that this is one of those examples where it's, like, it's a card that was made because of D&D, and it's very flavorful, and it's on point. It's not so much, like... Yeah, that I'm sure is true. ...power level-wise. So I feel like people are still gonna want to play this, though, because they're like, oh, I love... I, I had that resonation when I went through whatever, you know, adventure or dungeon yeah, this comes from. Like a, if you're making like a, a, a themed D&D tribute deck, then this is this is a cool and fun card. But uh, yeah. in every other way, I think it sucks. <laughs> yeah. All right. But this next card, Alex. Oh, this next card maybe doesn't. <laughs> Actually, okay. So this next card is Demi Lich. And if you've been paying attention to the set, you might have heard about it. But also... I am unreasonably excited for it, so maybe I'm assuming that it has wider reach than it does, but it is a 4-mana, four 4-3. Four, the 4-mana is 4 blue mana symbols, which I feel like we don't see very often. That's pretty days. intense. Yeah, 4 blue mana symbols, no no, no other ones. It's And here is the, the, the type line. It's a skeleton wizard, first of all. Excellent. Sweet as hell. This spell costs 1 blue less to cast for each instant and sorcery spell you've cast this turn. So if you cast four instant and sorcery spells, this card is free. Mm -hmm. Whenever it attacks, exile up to one target instant or sorcery card from your graveyard. Copy it. You may cast the copy. Importantly, this does not say without paying its mana cost, which yeah. is how I read it the first time around, <laughs> which would be way more broken. You do have to pay for whatever you cast, so you're probably not going to be, especially if, you, if you're doing things like like casting a bunch of spells in one turn, then your deck is probably running a bunch of small spells. Mm -hmm. So you're you're not casting big broken things, but you are getting a little bit of value whenever it attacks. And then the final line of text, which is the which is a, a hugely important one, you may cast Demulich from your graveyard by exiling four instant and/or sorcery cards from your graveyard in addition to paying its other costs. So you do still have to pay the mana cost. However. Since you are probably running a bunch of instant sorcery um, cards that are that are low cost, or you are probably already running some amount of self mill, that is the, the exiling four instant and or sorcery cards is not especially restrictive. I think, especially because you get to cast it after you cast your your spells for the turn. So like you can cast four spells, put them in your graveyard because you cast them. The Demulish costs four less and you can exile those same four spells to cast it from your graveyard. So it it's actually not that demanding um, I mean, in the right deck. The question then for this card, because I'm very excited to, to jam it in some stuff for like modern and like 60 card formats. Is it worth doing in Commander? And I feel like the answer to that is potentially no. Oh, I think it's a hard no. Unless if you, you have to have like a... It's a super specific build around, and yeah. I feel like the payoffs aren't it's as really, high. If it said there. you may cast it without being uh, without having to pay the mana cost, I'd be a lot more interested. But yeah. I think if this card was legendary, then that would be very different. Oh, because then, yeah, you could just... When, when you're getting continuous access to a free spell, but when it's just, like, a random card and you're 99, yeah, this this card has such a specific idea of the kind of deck that wants to be that wants to be playing it, and also, like, a lot of commander decks don't really do that sort of thing. Uh, it's it's maybe a little bit too too specific. It's, there's, it's, there's not really a great home for it, and then it doesn't even do that crazy much in that home, in commander specifically. Yeah. 
Well, it's not the only f- skeleton we're going to be talking about, but we'll get to that in a little bit. This next one is Dragon Turtle. One blue blue creature dragon turtle. It has flash and it has the type line drag below. When it enters the battlefield, tap it and up to one target creature and opponent controls. They don't untap during their controller's next untap step and it's a 3-5. I feel like this has some pretty good base stats. I think this is pretty cute. Again, like I think it is cute. I think that it is a ten out of ten pun. It's a dragon turtle it, because it, it it be dragging you down. Oh yeah, under the water with it. I, this is another card. I'm really guilty of having pet cards that aren't that great, and this feels like a, pe- a pet card that I would jam into a bunch of decks. And then like every time I play it, I'm like, ah, awesome. I played a three mana three five that actually doesn't <laughs> get to attack or block for like two turns mm-hmm. and. Then like I don't know I in, in commander compared to other formats I think tapping down a creature for a turn or two is less powerful than formats where where that sort of that sort of thing allows you to sneak in like it like extra damage or something like combat in commander gets a lot more convoluted and just temporarily disabling one creature is not a ton unfortunately yeah I mean I think this might be the best blue card we've talked about so far. I can't, I can't do my boy Demulich like that. But oh. you might be right. Okay. Next, uh, this next one is Pixie Guide, and actually, this might be the best blue card this that we've talked the, about so is, far. Yeah, which is a bummer because the other ones were rares and stuff, and this <laughs> one's a common. But this is a two mana one three flying fairy. It, uh, its ability is granted advantage, which is very literal. If you would roll one or more dice, instead roll that many dice plus one and ignore the lowest roll. Now, in Dungeons and Dragons, this is a mechanic called having advantage, uh, where you do this exact thing. When you're going to roll a d20 or something, you roll two and you get rid of the lowest one. Yeah. This is a fantastic enabler for, for decks that care about dice rolling, which is a thing that you can, I think, more easily do now that this set exists than you could before, for sure. Yes, there are a few commanders that do care about the dice rolling, and we'll get into those in a little bit. But I think, yeah, the biggest thing about this is it kind of acts like a Krark's Thumb-like card, which does, you know, the same thing for, like, coin flipping. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, that card has recently gotten expensive, and so I feel like you might want to pick these up if um, dice rolling does become a bigger f- thing, especially in the future, so you don't have to, you know, shell out, I think it's like 30 bucks now for a Quark's Thumb. Oh god, is it really? It's a lot, oh, yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, this is is a really specific card, it's very, it's very niche, but if you care about rolling dice, this is very good. Yeah. This ability. And it's not the only one with this ability, which I also like. Wizards gave us a couple options that, you know, if you roll one of our dice, you can kind of pick and choose. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Good for them. Tasha's Hideous Laughter, one blue-blue sorcery. Each opponent exiled cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with total mana value 20 or more. I think that this card is pretty good, um, especially probably in the decks where in like the CEDH pods where they might have their, you know, zero cost cards or um, yeah. you know, things that you know, 20 is going to be a lot to like kind of add up to. Like if you think of like Ad Nauseam as, you know, the best card in CEDH, 
and you can draw like 40 cards and you know lose like 20 some life uh that, that's gonna get a big chunk of the cards in their decks so that's i'm really interested that you say that because you play i think on average more competitively focused commander than i do um and this is a this is a really specific weird card and like the thing that makes it so weird is it's how good it is varies a ton based on the kind of deck your opponent is playing yeah if you're playing against some really slow green ramp deck that's like just loaded to the brim with like six mana plus spells like this card doesn't do a lot um, and the other thing that's weird about it is you have to care about the exile effect. You're spending a whole card to what is essentially is milling each of your opponents a bunch, but you don't even put them in their graveyard. So like you don't get any incidental like actual mill synergies. It's just like straight exile. So you have to be like pretty focused on just pure. You're trying to eliminate some libraries. Yeah. Um, but to what you're saying, twenty in the right situation is a lot yeah like if you're gonna assume just for an example like if the average mana cost in a deck is like three or something which depending on your edh playgroup could be true then on average this is gonna if let's say like it it hits uh, let's say it hits like an average three card every single time. It's going to be like seven non-land cards and plus whatever lands that includes. So three mana to exile like twelve or whatever cards for, on average from an opponent's deck is like it's not terrible. But yeah, this is like a, like this is I, I think this card is like if if you have a deck that's specific enough to want this then it's okay depending on your play group. Mm -hmm. I don't know. This is a weird card. I mean, we just keep... The blue cards just keep getting better and better as we as we go through them. Yeah, the best, the best one so far was a common. Alright, next. Alright, this one is called True Polymorph. This is a 6 mana instant, 4 and 2 blue. Target artifact or creature becomes a copy of another target artifact or creature. It's kind of a, a beautifully simple effect. Oh, yeah. It's a little high cost, though. Four and blue-blue, that's six mana. Yeah. Notably, it doesn't stop at the end of the turn, though. Yeah, that's, I think, the, the main thing about this that is that would make it potentially good. You have to have a target that you want to polymorph something into, but it, does, it doesn't restrict based on like something you control or something your opponents control. So you kind of get to pick the best artifact or creature on the board and turn an artifact or creature into that thing. It is very flexible too, and that you can take the best artifact or creature on the board and turn it into the worst artifact or creature on the board. This is like a card that, that I think is much, that has a lot more depth to it than it initially reads as. And so while six mana is a lot, this also is very flexible. I mean, the first thing I kind of thought of was, you know, if someone's commander's out, you could use this on their commander, turn it into an artifact that maybe one of your opponents has that probably won't matter so much to that person playing. So like if you have uh, the Get Rock Monster, which does kind of pilot the deck that you are running because your deck is so focused on like discarding lands and i am biased because that is one of my favorite decks uh -huh. but then you turn that into a signet that you know doesn't matter to me 
could be like an Azorius Signet. I don't need white or blue mana, but I also now have my commander, which I can't now just sack to like a sack outlet. I'm going to need something to kind of like get rid of it. So it, it's kind of like a, a hard workaround. So the, the best place I see this is, or the best use of this is like probably using it on someone's commander. Yeah, I like this card because it's flexible. Yeah, it just does a lot of things. It's interesting. I, I honestly feel like it's hard to evaluate, like, without trying it out. Yeah, I, I think the the one thing that's probably going to steer people away from it is its mana cost, four blue blue. So, we'll see. But in the right, it, yeah, there, there are going to be situations where this effect is like a backbreaking thing to have access to, and you completely ruin somebody's combo turn or something. Yeah. So, like, it could be worth. We'll see. All right. Next, we have Wizard Spellbook, which is five blue blue artifact. Tap, exile target instant sorcery card from a graveyard. Instant or sorcery card from a graveyard. Roll a d20. Activate only as a sorcery. So we got 1 through 9. Copy that card. You may cast the copy. 10 through 19. Copy that card. You may cast the copy by paying 1 rather than paying its mana cost. And then we have the critical, 20. Copy each card exiled with Wizard Spellbook. You may cast any number of the copies without paying their mana costs. So that 20 is definitely pretty big. Yeah, that 20 is huge. And being able to hit it at any point is going to be pretty good. But man, that's unpredictable. It has like this insane effect that you're probably not going to get access to. So for me, how interested you are in this card depends on how interested you are in every other effect mm -hmm. the the thing that i think is worth noting about this uh is that it is from a graveyard it's not just yours right. so like you can use this to get random access to people's removal spells as well as honestly you can if you have like specific key problem incident or sorcery cards like there's there's it, corner cases where like just exiling it by itself is like still not that bad for me this is a weird one because it is very expensive. Seven mana is a lot. Getting access to a free spell each turn, is especially like in a deck that plays a lot of them, is very good. But I find the fact that there's so much variation on whether or not you have to pay full value for the spell or pay one is makes it really difficult to plan around when you're playing it. Uh, especially like if you need specific key spells like it would it, it would be a really feels bad moment if you have to like exile uh, an instant sorcery you're hoping to be able to pay one for it and then you don't get it you get a one through a nine when you you would have to pay full price for it and then suddenly like that closes off like a certain line or something that you had and you don't get to cast it again unless you roll a 20 which is not going to happen very often yeah and, and it is pretty fragile the the other thing too even though you know it, it can target anyone's graveyard for the cards that you're you know potentially getting to cast uh, if you do roll the one through nine you could potentially also kind of like whiff right. so like if you are just you know in the, let's say the mono blue deck you run this and you do someone who has not the best place i guess for this is kind of like spell slinger decks that have more than just mono blue so like Kess, uh, at least you have like red and black. Really, that's kind of it. Because mm -hmm. uh, I don't think many Spellslinger decks are like blue green or blue white. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I think this card is fun as hell. Yeah. <laughs> We're, th these cards are all fun, but 
Yeah. If you if you do plan to run it, run any of them, just kind of don't expect them to be like new powerhouse. This is a payoff for a dice rolling deck in that if you can through cards that let you roll multiple dice or whatever, if you can consistently get copy that card, you may cast the copy by paying one rather than paying its mana cost. Then we're talking because that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it takes a lot of setup to get there. All right, what's our last blue card? This one is called "You Find the Villain's Lair," and there's a bunch of cards with this naming scheme in the set, um, which is like like very like narrative, as if you yeah. you have the DM telling you. It's it's pretty fun. This is a cancel variant. It is one and two blue for choose one, foil their scheme, counter target spell, or learn their secrets, draw two cards, then discard two cards. We have a, a bajillion billion cancel variants in Magic. This is actually, in my opinion, one of the better ones. It, I, it, I think so too. Yeah, if it's going to be costed at three mana, which in a deck that runs a ton of counter spells, especially on a budget, you might find yourself reaching down to, I think this is one of the better ones to reach for because the main issue with counter spells is that if you don't have a spell worth countering, then you held up mana and didn't do anything with it. So having a failsafe mode where you can filter and draw two cards and then discard two cards, which is technically card disadvantage because you're paying a card to do that. Mm -hmm. That is way better than it even reads like it is on the card because the point is not that you're necessarily looking to do that, but it just makes it so that the main downside of running a bunch of counter spells is somewhat mitigated. Yeah. All right, we're going to move into red, and we're going to start with Delina, Wild Mage. Three red, legendary creature, elf shaman. So this is the first uh, mono-red elf that I believe we've ever seen. Oh, I didn't even take that in when I looked at this card the first time. This is a mono-red elf. That's very weird. I think I think a big part of uh, the Dungeons & Dragons set was that the colors kind of played more into... Or like the, the type... <sighs> I forget like the specific example, but... There's color weirdness. Yeah, with this set, there's there's creatures and colors that that are, they aren't normally in. Like there's blue elves too. And stuff. Right, because they kind of had to design around like the functionality of Dungeons and Dragons more so. So they, uh-huh. it's it's a little like bends and breaks. Yeah, it's so like in D and D, there are definitely like certain certain like races or or as magic would refer to them, creature types. Uh, tend towards certain alignments and alignments are probably like like the easiest go-to way of trying to like divide up the creative ideas in Dungeons and Dragons into like colors and magic but like D&D is intentionally open-ended there are a lot of rules and like to an extent the in in many cases those rules are not hard and fast rules if you want to make like uh, an, an elf that that is like super wild and crazy and very like red mage feeling like you totally can if you want to have like a like if you want to be playing like a goblin who's a a paladin and and issues what normal like goblins do and wants to do like heroic religious stuff like Mm -hmm. you can do that like D&D is is a, a, a tool for you to have fun with and so I don't personally mind all of the, the like creative bending that they're doing with this set by like putting creature types in weird colors and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we haven't said a damn thing about what the actual card is. I just went on a rant about um, creature types. N- no worries. So we got Delina, Wild Mage, 3 red, legendary creature elf shaman. 
Whenever she attacks, choose target creature you control, then roll a d20. 1 through 14, create a tapped and tacking token that's a copy of the creature, except it's not legendary and it has exile this creature at end of combat. And then 15 through 20, create one of those tokens, roll again. Alright. Baby, this is a fun one. This if is fun. If you keep rolling 15s through 20s, then this is like kind of, it gets a little splinter twin E. You just, you get to keep making tokens. And this is one of the, the, the cards where, like, this is a really sick payoff for for anything that lets you roll with advantage. Um, yeah. That's pretty cool. There's a lot, being able to, to create a creature token that's a copy of any other creature token is a, or any other, any other creature is a really easy ability to do dumb stuff with. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's there's just a lot of there's a lot of ETBs that are that are very abusable with this. Um, I, I it's not going to be consistent, but if you're looking for consistent, I don't think you're playing this card. This is fun. No, I, I think we, we've we're going to just probably like nail in this theme of like most of these cards aren't consistent. They're just fun. Yeah. Um. And when you beat somebody because you rolled eight. 15 through 20s in a row and just made eight copies of some creature and d- did any number of broken things you can do with that it's going to be f- a fantastic story oh yeah uh, and so i would try and jam this all right who's next Ooh, i'll read this one okay i spent like half of the time that i spent looking over cards and prepping for for coming in to record this with you on this card oh, okay because i desperately wanted to to break it in some way and it's just it's i don't think it's very easy to do but god it would be so sweet so this is a this is the the uh legendary red dragon in the legendary dragon cycle Mm -hmm. inferno of the star mounts it's a six mana six six four and two red uh legendary creature dragon this spell can't be countered always nice always nice Flying in haste, which is good if you're spending six mana on a on a dragon in red. I I prefer it to have haste. Then it has a weird version of fire breathing. You can pay a red. Inferno of the star mounts gets plus one plus zero until end of turn. When its power becomes twenty this way, it deals twenty damage to any target. And the thing I got unreasonably excited about is that this is technically repeatable. Because all you need is for its power to become 20 when you activate this ability. If you manage to shrink it slightly and then activate it again, you can get another 20 damage to any target. So there's a. You, I, I was trying to find a way to do some sort of janky combo to this. That's a little. T- I feel like that's just like a little tough. Because in like. Extremely tough. Minus to one counters in like red. And plus, you know, you have to put in 14 mana for. To get to like that first time, so I do think you know there are some ways that where that's pretty achievable because you have you know a lot of cards now like Leyline Tyrant, uh, which will allow you to like store a bunch of red mana and then you can use that to kind of like pump Inferno. Right. You have uh, Neheb, the first Neheb where it adds red for each like creature that's attacked. Uh, you have Bergy, who's just you know the best card ever, where you'll get like a bunch of red for casting spells. Mm-hmm. Braids of Fire. There's definitely some ways. I just feel like the repeating the 20 yeah. is a little difficult. If you want to get what I will refer to as the sickest style kill I can think of, 
and activate Inferno of the Star Mouse to get it to 20 power multiple times, which is, of course, I'm sure what we're all looking to do with this card and not actually just play it like the normal the normal good way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think having it as your commander is probably the way to go. I, I don't think having it as your commander is the way I would go. It is real hard to do that in mono red, which is a huge tragedy. And at some point, I am going to make it my mission to design an entire deck based around killing somebody by activating Inferno of the Star Mouth multiple times. It will be atrocious, and I will love it. I mean, the other thing, too, and I think that this would also be a super flavorful, is you would probably also want to look into, like, treasure as a way of, like, having a bunch of, like, ways to, like, have mana at the ready to mm-hmm. then, like, pump this guy. So another great card would be Old Span Dragon, which would then make all your treasures tap for two. Yeah. The style kill entirely depends on how easily you can reduce its power. But I digress. I've spent so long talking about it, but I did spend like half an hour trying to make it work. It's okay. I really wanted the dragon to be something to throw into Perforos, but that's not the case. It's okay. It's okay. Again, fun, but not, you know, anything competitive, backbreaking. Right. All right, we got Zalto, the Fire Giant Duke. Three red red, legendary creature, giant barbarian has trample whenever it is dealt damage venture into the dungeon so i believe this is the first of our legendary yeah, I creatures we've actually ventured into the dungeon so far yeah we've gone this far i think though just from all the other cards that i've seen i don't think red is necessarily the one that cares as much about the dungeons yeah i think that it seems like it's a black white blue thing really venturing into the dungeon is weird man it's the the cards in the set that we have access to it's actually fairly difficult to do it a ton which is which is i think the main reason to to look at this card is i i think it's one of the more repeatable ways of venturing into the dungeon it's a one-off effect on a lot of different cards but I, if I have learned one thing about enrage abilities, which is what this essentially is, it's that I'm really good at underestimating them. I, I enrage in the right shell is not very hard to pull off multiple times, mm-hmm. um, and depending on what else you're trying to do, this is a pretty interesting way to consistently get value. If I was building a deck around this, I would look at it more as like an, an I, w- I would maybe look in the direction of an enraged deck that isn't specifically trying to do something with the dungeon and just looks at it as a way to like get repeatable value and in that sense it's it's pretty sick yeah i'm looking at the dungeons now and i feel like none of them are really gonna help you with that plan so you probably don't care about the dungeon as much yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, there's like the the tomb of annihilation thing is a is a it's a weird one. Like that's your like I'm trying to speed run this dungeon, and like you can use this card to finish it very quickly. But I don't know if the payoff for it, which is you know getting the legendary four four black god horror creature token with death touch, I don't know if that's something that you're like so excited about in Commander that you would like try and figure out a way to like turbo it out, which again it would be difficult to do because this is a 5 drop. Yeah. Alright. We've got our next card. Flame Skull. Oh, this is a sweet one. 
It is a flaming skull. You'll be you'll be shocked to know. Uh, it is one and two red, so three mana for a three-one flying. Cannot block, and it has rejuvenation. When it dies, exile it. If you do, exile the top card of your library until your until the end of your next turn. You may play one of those cards. So it dies. You can either replay it or you can play whatever is on the top of your library. So the flame skull can be anything, even a flame skull. Could be, yes. I think one of the things I like about this is it does pair nicely with food chain. You could kind of infinitely go off with it. I say like kind of because you're a little more limited because typically in the food chain combos you have like Squee, Miss Holographin, or Eternal Scourge, and you just recast that one card, always netting mana. But this time you're also getting a card at the same time. It's tricky because getting you... from uh, getting cast from your library, and then you you might ignore that one card forever. Right. Yeah. Because the, the the unfortunate thing is that if you cast Flame Skull, you don't get to play the other card. Yeah. It makes you pick one of them, which is a real tragedy. Yeah, I I agree basically entirely with your assessment. This this is like at least for commander, you're only going to play this if you really specifically want a creature that you can kill and then cast pretty much endlessly. And it does do that. And in in, a, in an environment where you care about that, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, but it's a really specific tool. Mm-hmm. All right. Next, we got Orb of Dragonkind, one red artifact for one mana tap at two mana in any combination of colors. Spend the mana only to cast dragon spells or activate abilities of dragons. So, Inferno the Star Mounts. Red, tap, sacrifice orb. Look at the top seven cards of your library. You may reveal a dragon card from among them and put it into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Um, this card's sweet. I, I, I don't think there's a ton to say about it other than this is a dragon signet and signets are good and this is better than signets because you can pop it to get a dragon when you, yeah. when you don't need the mana which I mean dra- dragon decks are, are mana hungry and I don't know giving your, your mana rock a second thing to do is just it's just good I, I totally agree if to the listeners I did my Ozgear dragon deck and I feel like this, this is a good slam dunk in there because it's an artifact, you know, Osgir will get rid of it. I'll create two of these. Boom. Yeah. If you're playing Lots a dragon deck, if you're playing a dragon deck, you want this card. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. I'll take uh, this last one. red yeah, last red card. Last red card is Unexpected Windfall. This is a uh, two red red for an instant as an additional cost to cast this spell. Discard a card, draw two cards and create two treasure tokens. This is a really interesting one. This is I, so I am excited about it because I have a Galazeth Prismari deck and anything that says create two treasure tokens, especially on an instant or sorcery, is great for that deck. But this is this is a fascinating card because it is two mana more expensive than what you would normally pay for this effect, where you cast a spell, discard a card as an additional cost. Tormenting voice. Yeah, uh, the tormenting voice style thing. discovery. Those are normally two mana. Yeah. Um... So the fact that it's four mana but creates two treasure tokens is, uh, I think, in certain decks, it's way better. Mm-hmm. And in most other decks, it's a, a fair bit worse. So it depends on uh, what kind of deck you're playing. But if you have a way to reduce the mana cost of this spell, then you come out 
feeling pretty damn good about it. Oh, um, yeah. And if you specifically care about treasure tokens for whatever deck you're playing, some, a card that creates two treasure tokens is, is, is not something that I would skirt over. But, I'm, I mean, I'm talking from the perspective of Galazeth Prismari, but, like, it's kind of... It, sometimes it's a, a bit of hard work to make a bunch of treasure tokens without playing cards that, like, are just kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not a bad card. No, I don't think so. We've kind of talked about this before. Treasure has especially become, over even like the last two sets, a much more prominent thing. And certain commanders or like certain cards really kind of care about that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that this card is just going to probably be adopted a lot more, especially in the future. I feel like there's even a couple commanders that we'll probably talk about either here or that Blake mentioning that I'm like, yeah, this would be great for those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, green. So we got old knobbone. Oh yeah, fuck this card. Uh, I'm so sad this card's not blue or red. I yeah. Uh, five five green green legendary creature dragon. Flying, of course. Whenever a creature you control deals combat damage to a player, create that many treasure tokens, and it's a seven seven. So you got a seven mana seven seven dragon. Damn, this thing is annoying. If it was, if it was just itself, it would still be an obnoxious card. Any, if the creature connects and you get seven free mana, like that is a pretty huge incentive, and that's the sort of thing that's like worth like building your deck around, ensuring that you can connect with this creature. But it's any creature you control. This is like green decks. I think can get very snowbally, and this is um, this is a hell of a snowbally card. Yeah, I know that a lot of people have talked about it too, just because they're disappointed that this is kind of um in the green. But I think flavorfully, that's it, it, it's one of those. It's this one is more of a break where you know the elf shaman being in red. That was more like yeah, it's for flavor. It's a bend kind of. This one feels more like a break in term in for the sake of flavor yeah it is weird i i agree with that i i honestly i was so caught up in what it did i didn't really think about that it is kind of odd to see this on like a big green flyer but yeah man if you get one combat off where this ability does anything you're bonkers ahead and it's a huge problem for everyone else at the table this card is good it's good if you can can it's good yeah I don't know if I, I guess like what's the interesting to do interesting thing to do building a whole deck around it. Um, I feel like it's just better. You, you see a lot of like green red dragon decks or just like five color dragon decks. I feel like that this is more so where it would go than in a um, deck by itself because you know all your dragons in the dragon tribal deck are going to be dealing combat damage and then this is just going to ritual you. So far ahead. Yeah, is cards, cards. Uh, this is a kill on sight, man. This thing comes down. It, it it must die, and it must die immediately because if you just play it pre-combat and then swing at other things, it's still a huge issue. This card's so annoying. Yeah, I scion on the Ur Dragon. You know, if you have one turn with that, and you can then just uh, yeah. swing exile this. It all your has- dragons go deal damage yeah it just has everything going for it i mean i could i i could i could continue forever but like the the fact that it is that it's treasure tokens too it's not even like like 
creating it's not even like like adding mana to your mana pool that that's kind of disappear or something it's literally like it treasure tokens is like the best possible way to get this like mana generation Mm -hmm. thing other than just like tutoring out lands but that would be that would be way 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 broken they wouldn't do that but oh yeah this is nutty card anyways Alright, this next one I think is kind of a famous creature in D&D, correct me if I'm wrong. You know, ironically, I've played a fair amount of D&D periodically throughout my life, but uh, I, I've never played the, the like the Forgotten Realm stuff at all. So, But this is a weird card, man. This card's funny. So, this is the Tarasque. It is a 9 mana card, 6 and 3 green. It is a legendary creature, dinosaur, and the art is fantastic. It's a dinosaur rampaging through a village. The Tarask has haste and ward 10 as long as it was cast, which is a weird, weird line. Whenever the Tarask attacks, it fights target creature defending player controls. Um, This is another in a long line of really, really strong things to do with a lot of mana in green. Yep. (laughs) I mean, if you do cast it, Ward 10 almost essentially reads as Hexproof. Yeah, Ward 10, like, that's what's so funny to me. Like, Ward 10 is so very much almost the same as Hexproof that, like, it's, it's, it it feels like purely a flavor choice almost at that point to even bother doing Ward 10. That is a huge amount of extra mana to be playing, to be, to be paying. And, like, there's going to be a lot of decks where, like, they don't even have access to that much mana, like, like during the game considering that you have to pay 10 on top of whatever your removal spell i assume yeah cost already i mean from what i know about the D and this card specifically like it is kind of a big thing for them to you have to kind of like work up to it so it is meant to be achievable it's not meant to be like you know always untouchable so i think that's why it's like war 10 but it just feels so difficult it's just weird. It's weird to me to read the Tarasque has haste in Ward 10 as long as it was cast. Like, that is... I feel like they don't have lines of text like that very often because it's like a, it creates like a weird tracking issue. Mm-hmm. It, because something that references like as a, a static ability, whether or not you cast this card at any point, not like this turn or, or whatever, like if you cast it three turns ago, it still has haste in Ward 10 because you did at one point cast it. That's, a, that's just a... I mean, it's not a very d- difficult thing to keep track of, but, like, that's the kind of design that they don't do very often. Yeah. It's just interesting. All right. What's next? We got one more legendary creature in green. This is Varus Silvery Moon Ranger. One green green. Legendary creature human elf ranger. Ranger, I believe, is also a new type of creature that was introduced in this set. It has reach and ward one. Whenever you cast a creature or planeswalker spell, venture into the dungeon. Alright, another venture. Whenever you complete a dungeon, create a 2-2 green wolf creature token. You you skipped the most bummer and most important line of text on this whole card. Sorry, this ability only triggers once each turn whenever you cast a creature. Oh, yeah. Its ability triggers only once each turn. I'm so sad they started so good. Reach, great. That's fun. Ward 1, great. Love Ward as an effect. I just think it's neat. Whenever you cast a creature or a planeswalker spell, venture into the dungeon. Yes, good. It's repeatable dungeon access. Something that we want desperately for our cool dungeon deck. 
This ability triggers only once each turn. You can't do Creature Storm. You can't do Fun Dungeon Creature Storm. No. And it, even the whenever you complete a dungeon, though, like the payoff for a 2-2 Green Wolf Creature Token, like, in order to, like, get to that, like, let's say you do the quickest dungeon, which is Tomb of Annihilation, I don't think... You can get through it in three triggers, but it's not fun to get through three triggers. You'd much prefer to do it through four. Because to get to it through three triggers, you have to go through the Oubliette room. Is that how you say that? I don't yeah, even know. Oubliette. 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 Uh, you, you have to discard a card and sacrifice an artifact creature in light. So you, you don't actually really want to do that, especially like if you're trying to rush through the dungeon to get, yeah. drumroll please, a 2-2. Two, two. Wolf. This card bums me out so damn much, guy. I'm so sad this human elf ranger could have been so sick and it's just... It's just so balanced. Uh, it's fine. It's too uh, it, balanced. It, again, like, again, it's just flavor. N- nothing, like, crazy. Nothing to write home about. Let's move on. What is this? This one's Instrument of the Birds. Um, this is another one man artifact. For one green, you get a legendary artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, you may put a harmony counter on Instrument of the Birds. You can pay four mana, three and a green, tap it, to search your library for a creature card with mana value equal to the number of harmony counters on Instrument of the Bards. Reveal it and put it into your hand. If that card is legendary, create a treasure token. Then shuffle. It's fine. Yeah, this is um, very, very slow. Oh yeah. You have to pay the mana to cast it in the first place. You have to sit there and have it accumulate counters over multiple turns for you to pay four mana and tap it to search for a card that just goes into your hand. It's a lot of work to put in for a tutor. Yeah. Blake, I think, wrote some notes here where it's, they say it's like Aether Vial and Yeeson, but slow. I think that's kind of accurate. Yeah, it's like both of those good things, but much less good. <laughs> yeah, the workaround to, like, you know, if you want to, like, try and, you know, speed up those harmony counters, you you do have um, access to probably some, like, pro- proliferate abilities. But even then, you know, four in a green, you're not putting the creature onto the field, so then you have to have a way to untap this. It would be a huge workaround. Yeah. Um, I, but I'm glad. I guess I'm glad that it's more of a workaround than it is like just another Yisan that would uh, be too powerful. Yeah, I think that if you are interested in this card at all, you have to be taking advantage of the creating a treasure token part of it. That, to me, is the the only thing that would push this into being something I'd like actually want to consider putting into a deck. And even then, it's just so slow. Yeah. All right. Next we have Long Rest, X green green green, Sorcery, return X target cards with different mana values from your graveyard to your hand. If 8 or more cards were returned to your hand this way, your life total becomes equal to your starting life total, Exile Long Rest. So notably this is pretty comparable to uh, Seasons Past, if you're a fan of the CE, CEDH cast, you would know that that's the best card in CEDH. Not actually, but um. Yeah, oh, is it? So I don't not, play very much actually. CEDH. I was, it's I was, not actually. I was really interested. It's, it's like a joke. It's a joke. Okay. Okay. See, that's a, that. That is. A, 
Okay, that makes so a ton th- more sense. This is this is kind of a power down version, but Seasons of Pouts is still a pretty good card. Okay. You have to put eight, uh, so if eight or more cards... Yeah. So if the total amount of mana you're paying is 11 or more, then you get the bonus of of your your, sto- your starting life to- total becoming your your life total becoming equal to your starting life total. You, um, it's not only 11 mana though, but you also have to have the 8 cards yes. ready in your say. deck. So it, it doesn't care if x equals 8, it cares if you actually return 8 or more cards to your hand. So it could like x could be 7 I guess because you could have like a land in the in the in there. But... Okay, that's a really good point. I hadn't actually thought about that. Okay. So like 10 mana. That helps a bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, here is so so your so your thoughts on this card are that it is not good. I assume based on what you're saying, it's fine. It's fine. Okay, I'm gonna argue for it a little bit because I do think that this. Well, I, I'm not saying it's insane or anything, but I think this card is is in the the genre of card that plays better than it reads. Whether or not that means it actually plays well is a different thing, but. There are going to be situations where if you can actually afford to spend 10 mana on the thing, like if if the game's been going on long enough that you can get that bonus, your life total becoming equal to your starting life total, like tacking like a casual like gain double digits of, of life onto this card helps a ton with this sort of effect and helps a ton with the fact that you are tapping a ton of mana uh, for it, which like leaves you fairly defenseless in the sense that this like doesn't impact the board or anything immediately um so if you can get that that starting life total trigger off it it's it actually i think like potentially decent i don't know i would have to play with this one yeah this just, this just seems also similar to instrument of the barbs where it is a workaround i do like how it says your starting life total um, they did take into consideration the different formats where sometimes, you know, that has, like, hindered some cards, like Sarah Ascendant. But, like, here yeah. I feel like it's, you know, it's kind of flavorful in the sense of, like, you've had a long journey, rest up, start over kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah. The, the flavor on this one is fantastic because for, for again, for those who haven't played a lot, of, yeah, a lot of D&D, a long rest is the thing that you do in D&D to, like, regenerate all your stuff. You get your spells back, you heal on up. It, it is the it is the you go to the Pokemon Center and you heal. <laughs> yeah. All right. This next one though, I think is probably going to be one of the more adopted cards. Alex. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Why don't you read it? This is Circle of Dreams Druid. It costs three green mana for a two one. It's an Elf Druid, which uh, it, it says Elf on there. That's the part you actually care about, I think. Yeah. Um, and it is uh, an effect that is familiar to elf decks. Tap, add a green mana for each creature you control. Yep. I uh, mean, Guy's Cradle. That is the that is the Guy's Cradle thing. Uh, that's a very good magic card. Uh, <laughs> is it as good no. on a 3-mana 2-1? Not nearly. No, definitely. No. But in a deck where you are interested in having a lot of creatures and tapping them for a lot of mana, this is another one that does that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Blake mentioned that we just got the Sarah Sanctum on uh, Sanctum Weaver. So we're theorizing that there could be a potential Telerian Academy version on a stick. Is that now, now we're talking. I'm into that. <laughs> Give me that card. Yeah, but it'll be green, though, is kind of the joke. Oh, don't make it green. Yeah. Don't make all the fun things green. Well, that, that's, what, that's what they're doing. 
this card definitely seems though like it's one of the cards that's probably going to be the most adopted like elf tribal in general is very popular i don't see like why you wouldn't want to run this this already kind of seems better than the lanawar tribe card that we got a couple years ago where it was like three green add three green mana yeah um, i think that uh this is this is a a card that will most impact commander because there's a lot of green elves that do this kind of thing but commander is a singleton format so like you'll take as much redundancy as you can get a lot of the time this is a powerful effect yeah all right we got green dragon that's just the name uh, yeah, it's it's kind of beautiful. It's simple. I mean, there. Th this is part of a cycle. We got white, blue, black, red, green dragon. Each one, they're in a. It's part of the uncommon cycle where they each cost like some amount of mana and then two of the colors. So this one's four green, green creature dragon. Uh, it's probably the only one we've included just because it's the best one. Um, it has poison breath. When it enters the battlefield until end of turn, whenever a creature you an opponent controls is dealt damage, destroy it. Okay, actually, now that I've reread it, it's not as good as I thought because it's the same turn that it entered the battlefield. I thought this was just a continuous effect. So actually, this card isn't as good as I thought. <laughs> there is, uh, hey, this is a fun one though. I mean, you you can you can turn some really small. Some really small repeatable damage damage sources into like some board wipes so like if you are playing i imagine a deck with red in it because that is how i would assume you're getting that um then this is this can turn your small damage sources into some like this with goblin bombardment and some creatures you can start just like killing a lot of things but that that is true there is also like the fury from modern horizon so like right. you can spread out the damage one damage now is just like a kill Right, yeah. There's there's certain situations where this a lot makes makes your small damage effects a lot bigger. But uh, is that worth playing a six mana card for? I don't know because if you're playing if you're paying six mana to do the cute thing where all your all your one damage sources become you know murders, then you could just play a six mana card that actually kills stuff i don't know <laughs> that's i guess that's true i guess another place i could potentially see this is just like rule decks that do want to like fight because you know if you have this enter the battlefield and then you just swing with everything else your opponents are now having to choose like do i block lose all my creatures because like if they get dealt damage they die mm -hmm. or do i just take all the damage that's about to come at me from the creatures and that could be worse yeah yeah, there, it does a bit in a bunch of different situations. Xenagos is the first deck that I thought of, but mm. I'm sure there's a couple more. Yeah. So it's okay. It's it's not as good as I thought. Uh, we got our last... Nope, we uh, I spoke too soon. We got, we got our last card on this page, and then we got one more page after. For green cards, at least. Yeah, for green. All right, who's this? This is, of course, Froghemoth. Is this Alex? I have to ask since you played you play D and D. Have you ever come across a frog hemoth? I've not played. I've not come across a frog hemoth, but I'm real sad that I haven't because this card is funny, man. This is a this is a five mana card, three and two green, for a creature. It's a frog horror, and I know this is an audio medium, but if you got time to look up the art on this, uh, recommend it. There's a lot of tentacly tonguey things. <laughs> it, it is a four four with trample and haste. 
Whenever Frog Hemoth deals da combat damage to a player, exile up to that many target cards from their graveyard. Put a plus one, plus one counter on Frog Hemoth for each creature card exiled this way. You gain one life for each non-creature card exiled this way. Yeah. This um, is a weird-ass card, man. It is weird. Um, I like it. I, I like how it has the... It doesn't just have, like, interaction for getting rid of cards in your opponent's graveyard for one type of card does have that flexibility there's so many cards now that like work with I i'm thinking of like underworld's breach um i mean yogmoth's will is a good card too where yeah. you care about the graveyards a lot and you kind of want to like disrupt that i do think that um for what it's worth main deck graveyard hate uh in commander is better than it initially seems because i think the graveyards depending on the deck like there there's going to be some decks where like this thing coming down and even connecting just once is going to put a huge damper in their plan if they have excuse me if they have specific key cards they need in their graveyard and you just get rid of them um especially just fully exiling them that's going to be a big problem um the question for this card is whether or not it is reliable enough to be good every time um but i think that if you know that one of your friends is going to be like bringing a specific Grimyard Reliant deck, then uh, crushing him with some Frog Hemoth just sounds like <laughs> that just sounds fun. Imagine your plans getting foiled by the Frog Hemoth. Right. How much of a feel bad is that? Uh, it's pretty bad. It, especially, it, it is worth noting that like the more it grows from exiling cards, the more cards it exiles. So like you start eating entire graveyards pretty quick if you get to hit with it multiple times. But mm -hmm. yeah. All right, we have our last two green cards, which are two class cards. So the first one's Druid class, one in a green. Its base ability is whenever a land enters uh, the battlefield under your control, you gain one life. You can level up to level two by paying two green mana. You two, may play... two and a green. Oh, yes, sorry. Two and a green. You may play an additional land on each of your turns, and then for four and a green to level up to level three, when this class becomes level three, target land you control becomes a creature with haste, and this creature's power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. It's still a land. Okay. I like this because this is one of those ones where I feel like you can like plan and build up to it. Um, yeah. Reshape the Earth is a good card where you could probably play that, get nine lands, enter the battlefield, then like next turn you have the mana, and then you can just create one giant land creature. Mm -hmm. um, I think that this card should mostly be judged on the first and second level, and then the third level is like a mana sink that makes a large creature if you're in a situation where you need that. The first level is is not bad. Uh, if you're in a, a green deck, then landfall is a pretty easy thing to trigger. You probably have a variety of different cards that, yeah. that ramp you and drop lands onto the field, and that incidental life gain is, is nice. Um, being able to pay three at your leisure to level it up to something that that allows you to play an additional land on every turn that's valuable because i think it's worth noting that a lot of the times when green has access to that effect it is on a creature this is much harder to remove than a creature right i think the only other we have exploration which is kind of like you know the mm -hmm. top tier like 
best right. of the best of the abilities to do this. This kind of comes in close as like a second. Yeah, it's no replacement. It's no exploration, and it's it's like it reminds me a bit of Rites of Flourishing, but Rites of Flourishing is uh, is a symmetrical effect that gives it to everybody, so it's not mm-hmm. it's not quite remotely the same thing. I, I think this isn't bad. Yeah. I think of the class cards, I don't think all of them were necessarily home runs, but like, this one's good. Yeah, it's worth noting too that like on the turn where you do actually pay three mana to level it up to level two, um, you immediately get access to the ability to play an additional land. So if you have a land in hand, like you can immediately play it and maybe do something else with that mana. So it, it, there are going to be situations where that ability costs like in parentheses, like actually two because you can play another land right away. Yeah, and the nice thing too is like, um, I think that actually the nice thing about all the class cards was that their base mana value is very, very low. Like, mm-hmm. I think most of them cost two mana. Maybe... Some of them cost one, but it's all... I think it's like... I, I don't even know. Is there one that costs more than two mana? I think they all cost one or two, right? I think I think they're... Uh, I'd have to, like, double check. There may be one that costs three, but I think either they all cost two or they're in some color combination of, like one color than another color yeah they're they're cheap cards and um this it, it is nice that this first ability is something that it, it helps you have time to level it up to its future abilities yeah all right last green card before we get into our multicolored commanders this one's ranger class this is another class enchantment when you first play it it's a two mana one when it enters the battlefield, create a 2-2 green wolf creature token. So you're more or less playing a bear. You can pay 2 mana, 1 and a green, to level it up to level 2, where it then has the ability, whenever you attack, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on target attacking creature. And you can pay 3 and a green, 4 total, for level 3. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells from the top of your library. This is a weird one. Uh, I don't think it's as good. No, I don't either. It's a lot of work. You gotta invest 8 mana total to be able to look at the top card of your library at any time and cast it if it's a creature spell. And the floor on it? Paying 2 mana for a 2-2 does not do nearly as much in Commander as that does in like a 60 card format where like things are lower to the ground and a 2-2 you're just gonna get be able to get more mileage out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the best part is you would probably just want to pay, like, one green, get your token, and then probably just, you know, level up to level two. Because unless if you can really take advantage of level three with, like, you know, giving your creatures flash, that that top part doesn't really feel like the best. Because, like, top deck manipulation isn't, like, a green thing necessarily. Yeah, I mean, the, the last ability is a good value thing, but it's, like, stapled on to the this card that is, like, it's a cheap creature and also, like, a slight combat-oriented buffing effect, and it just feels kind of... I don't know. This, this, this card is doing, like, very different things. If you care about the last level a lot, you probably don't care about the first two that much. And if you really care about the first two... Well, first of all, I'm impressed because this is Commander. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. All right, so we're going to move into our multicolor Commanders. We got eight of them. This first one is Crydell of Boulder's Gate. Black, blue. Oh, sorry. Blue, black. <laughs> Legendary creature, human elf rogue. 
when it deals combat damage to a player, that player loses one life and mills a card, then you gain one life and scry one. Whenever you attack, you may pay two mana. If you do, target creature can't be blocked this turn. Uh, this is a rogue card for rogues. <laughs> like, this it, it does rogue things. If you're playing a deck that is based around rogues, then you like the things that are on this card. Yeah, um, we did get Anawan the Ruined Thief recently, and I feel like that's just a strictly better yeah, this card doesn't... to the card to run as your commander. I feel like this card could maybe like slot into those kind of decks. Though. I agree. This is it's legendary, which is fun, but like there's if you're trying to do a legendary rogues deck, there's better commanders than this. Being able to make a creature unblockable ain't nothing though. Yeah. All right. Who's next? All right. This is Kalane, reclusive painter. This is one black mana and one red mana for two mana total. For a 1-2, it is a legendary creature, a human elf bard. Uh, we got a black red elf this time, that's fun. When Kalane Reclusive Painter enters the battlefield, create a treasure token. Other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast them. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't run this as a commander. It doesn't do that much for you. So for me, this is actually, <laughs> uh, it's funny you say that. Of all the legendary creatures, this is actually the one that I would most likely build. Really? Oh man, that's so interesting. I don't give a crap about this card. <laughs> for, uh, so for clarification, two reasons. One, uh, similar to what I'm doing with my Perforos deck, I think that this could be a cool flavor altered out deck because he is a painter okay that is cool so that that's kind of where my thoughts were initially but then i would mainly want to be running a lot of the red creatures to create a bunch of these treasures tokens and then black creatures that have infect because then i would use those treasure tokens to then have my infect creatures come into the play and then they get a buff with those plus one plus one counters and then it's much easier to take out my opponents Okay, that's interesting. I, I think that's a that's a, actually like a, a, a novel and cool idea to do with this card. But man, I, there is nothing that entices me personally less than the payoff being a plus one plus one counter. Like it's just this is entirely personal preference, right? Um, I don't get excited about cards like that. That is boring snooze fest to me. But which is but flavorfully, I do think this card is very cool, and I think the treasure theme is neat. And I just wish. It had a payoff that was more interesting than getting an additional plus one plus one counter. Right. I do think I think the nice things are it is only two mana, so you get this out pretty early. Black and red do have now a bunch of ways of creating treasure tokens, like as we were talking about, unexpected windfall. So that's a good card for this deck where you know you create two more treasure tokens. Dockside Extortionist, obviously, Goldspan Dragon. So like a lot of the red creatures in this deck are the ones that are creating the treasures. And then, yeah, the black ones are the ones that have infect that you then want to use. Like, Scythrix uh, would be great, because, you know, that's like five mana, it's three black black, so you spend the five mana, it comes in, then it has uh, five plus one plus one counters, um, that makes it a nine nine. I'm sure you could find somewhere else to then, um, you know, put one more counter onto it with, like, pro Proliferate or something. And, you know, you can instantly give it haste. So, yeah. Did we talk at any point about what we're drinking, by the way? No. I think we skipped right over I, that. I, in, in our set reviews, I think we've often kind of just skipped over that because it's kind of like, 
Yeah, so obviously we are drinking, like, you know, we, we never aren't, but like... <laughs> we, ne- we never aren't. We wouldn't fail you. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I'm just drinking, well, we're just both drinking stuff from my fridge. Really. I'm most of the way through a mango cart from Guy's fridge, um, and that fact is part of why I was so enthusiastically against that last, that last cart. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just drinking, like, a Sierra Nevada little wild thing. Alright, Targnar, Demon Fang Null, another two mana legendary creature, so red and green, legendary creature Null, it has pack tactics, which is actually one of the flavor words that has appeared the most, because it, you know, relies on whenever it attacks. So whenever it attacks, if you attack with creatures with total power 6 or greater this combat, attacking creatures get plus 1 plus zero until end of turn and then for two green red double targnar's power and toughness until end of turn there are some things that i'm disappointed about with this card one you said null and not genol which is so much more fun this is a this is a, a genol and the is second it actually thing, a genol no not at all it's okay i mean but yes it's a genol and you should say it that way uh, I regret I regret not hard committing to that. No, it's a genol. <laughs> Ignore what I said. You have to say it like that every time. Um, also, I'm disappointed that it's pack tactics and not tactics, but I can put that down. <laughs> I can put that aside. Talking about what the actual card does, the line of text that I think makes you maybe interested in playing this in Commander is the line where it says double. Just the, It has the word double on it. And that's it, it costs four mana, so that's a little steep for something that's repeatable. But whenever something says double, that that has potential to be a real problem. And considering that you might not need to pay four mana to double it every single time, starting from two power, like that's a lot of mana to, to make a big number with. But you have if you have other ways to boost this thing's power, and you get more into the the region where like you don't have to activate this ability more than once or twice for it to become huge. Mm-hmm. Now you're talking, especially because you can do this at instant speed. Being able to to attack with a bunch of mana up and have your opponent have to play around the fact that you might turn this thing into a giant unstoppable monster, uh, that is the part of the card that's interesting to me. It also benefits if it's your commander from the commander damage rule, because you don't oh, need yeah. to make it nearly as big for it to be lethal. Yeah, so like for four mana, we get this up to four four. For 8 mana, we get this up to an 8-8. Eight, eight. For 12 mana, we are getting this up to a 16-16. Sixteen, sixteen. Right, so if you're just, if you are doing nothing but paying the ability, then it, it's it's fair, it's fairly expensive. It's worth noting that um, you can, if you, if you activate this twice or get its power to 6 or greater, like this can enable its own little combat buff, which helps for doubling, but yeah, I, I think that if you're gonna play this this card and like try and do some some funky one shots, then uh, I think that you're you're probably looking at other ways to make it bigger before you start doubling it. Yeah. All right. Who's next? This one is another strange name in a long line of strange names. This one is Drizzt Doerden, and I apologize if that's incorrect, but not too much because it's this name has two Z's in it next to each other. So what am I supposed to do? <laughs> uh, this is a five mana card. It's a legendary creature, an elf ranger. It costs three, a green, and a white. 
It is a 3-3 double strike. When Drist de Werden enters the battlefield, create Gwenhuvar, a legendary 4-1 green cat creature token with trample. Whenever a creature dies, if it had power greater than Drist's power, Drist's, Drist's power, Wow, putting in a Alex, I mean, part of the reason why I brought you on here is I was like, oh, he's going to know how to pronounce all these names. Oh, yeah. I'm, I know <laughs> that for sure. Yeah, if it had power greater than Drizzt's power, put a number of plus one, plus one counters on Drizzt equal to the difference. So it's got like weird, morbid, evolve kind of, but it's got double strike, so that's way better. Yeah. Um, it notably is seven power across two creatures for five mana, one of which is a 3-3 double strike. Uh, this card's funky, and not bad, I think, if you're looking for beaters. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, oh god. There's another green-white legendary creature, it was like an elf from Ravnica that... Tulsimer? I believe. Tulsimer? Yeah, uh, the, yeah, I've heard of this heard of this card before. With the wolf, mm-hmm. the legendary creature wolf. I yeah. feel like that these these decks almost play very similarly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this card's really interesting. It's fairly open-ended. Um, there are, if you're looking to make like a Voltron-style like, like huge creature that is going to be capital A, capital P, a problem, uh, this, is a, this is a good one. They, they, I think it's... D- double Strike's an interesting ability. They don't normally make that many creatures with Double Strike that have very high power because it could just be... Uh, oh. Yeah, they don't normally make uh, creatures with Double Strike with, with uh, very high power. It, it, it gets out of control real quick. Uh, Alright, so we got Barrowin of Clan Undor. Under. Under. This is this this guy's from down under. Two white-black... When it enters the battlefield, venture into the dungeon. Uh, when it attacks, return up to one target creature card with mana value three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield if you've completed a dungeon. Of the dungeon commanders that we've talked about so far, this is probably the best one. Just because the it's not like you need to keep this around and then repeat doing a dungeon. If you've already completed the dungeon and this enters the battlefield, it sees that you've done the dungeon, and you can get back some pretty nice things um, that now have like it's almost like a repeatable Sun Titan in a way. Yeah, this is great because um, the, it, or as as far as like dungeon synergies go, just having cared about completing a dungeon is a much more achievable thing than like trying to just get a ton of value out of activating a dungeon over and over again. Yeah, trying to achieve a, a specific shorter-term goal than that is, is, is more interesting. I'm trailing off so hard here. I need to drink more. That's the main problem. I think, I think this is one of those instances where you would probably want to consider doing the Tomb of Annihilation and then going through the shortest version just because... Um, so if we read through it, you enter the dungeon and everyone loses one life. You can then do Oubliette, which is discard a card. So, you know, you could discard a creature card with mana value 3 or less for potentially getting back later. Yeah. Sacrifice an artifact, a creature, and a land. Man, that, that room sucks so bad. <laughs> that does suck so bad. <laughs> it does suck so bad. I Do you know, though, um, 
if I do choose to go through the Oubliette, uh-huh. I know I have to sacrifice an artifact, a creature, and in a land. Mm-hmm. I'm probably going to have the land, obviously. But if I don't have the artifact or creature, do I have to do that? Or nope. will I... I mean, if you can't sacrifice an artifact or a creature, then you do not have to. But you definitely do have to sacrifice the land. The The nice thing is this card brings back permanent cards with, with get rid of mana cost three or less, or sorry, mana value, as they say these days. Which does help recoup the cost of uh, if you like were to actually try and speedrun this thing and go through the Oubliette room. Um, I don't know if it actually does it enough to be worth doing that. Well, it's only creature cards, so the artifact won't come back, nor will the land. Oh, it's, you can't get, what a disappointment. You're so right. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Only other thing worth mentioning about this card is that, uh, having the venture on ETB is nice in white and black because it's fairly easy to flicker things and flicker things in those colors. Yeah, that's true. Alright, who is next? Faride, Faride, Faride. Devil's yeah. Chosen. This is the blue-red one. Um, this is two, a blue, and a red, four mana total. For a legendary creature, Tiefling Warlock. We got Tieflings in Magic now. What is a Tiefling? Uh, a Tiefling is like how would I, how would I explain? Uh, it, it, you can think of it kind of like a, like a humanoid, like half demony thing. At one point. Somebody had sex with a demon and tieflings happened, I think, vaguely. I'm honestly not super up to date on how exactly tieflings happened. I knew this better at one point, but... Uh, I know, know we've said some like pretty raunchy stuff on this podcast, but I feel like we've never really talked about sex. So, like, right. I feel like that was the first first mention of it ever. When a evil, potentially, Stop. monster no. and a human no. <laughs> love each other very much... Please read the card. ...or a large amount of money is involved... <laughs> Alright, this card says Dark One's own luck. Whenever you roll one or more dice, Faraday, Devil's Chosen, gains flying and menace until end of turn. If any of those results was 10 or higher, draw a card. It's mostly about that second thing. Getting menace and flying is fun and good. It means you can attack for commander damage that's probably going to connect. Um, but draw a card. That's the thing you care about. This is, this is just a, a sweet payoff for the dice roll deck. Whenever you roll a ten or higher, drawing a card that's that's just good. Yeah, you do you do have to make sure that your dice because there are some cards in this deck where um not not in this deck but like some cards from the set have you rolling like d twelves or like d sixes. So like it will specify you do need to try and like optimize the amount of times you're going to be rolling like a d twenty. So you will probably get the ten or higher. So your chances become like 55% versus like, you know, if you're rolling like a D12, that's like, you know, 12%. Are there cards that make you roll a D12? There's a couple. Not as much, but like in these kind of decks, though, you do want to be rolling as many dice as you can be. Uh Yeah, this is a, this is nice. This is, I assume if you were going to do a dice rolling deck, this is a pretty good argument for what you'd want the commander to be, because being able to just slap this on the battlefield and do your thing while generating a ton of value, that's, that's, that's good. That's what you want. It is kind of funny how, well, I don't know if it's funny. It can be funny. I'll laugh at it. Try me. Well, so like, uh, typically um, the coin flipping decks are like blue, red. Right. And those are, like, very much chance. So is it flavorful that, like, these are also, like, the flavorful um, colors 
for like this chance we're also to be blue and red <laughs> so funny guy you're so right i don't that was more like an observation <laughs> yeah no I, I, well observational humor is a thing don't undersell yourself that's true uh yeah it feels very blue red to me i agree all right next we have chesra that's whisper yeah i think you're only allowed to whisper this one chesra that's whisper Two black green, legendary creature, human elf warlock, bewitching whispers. When it enters the battlefield, target creature blocks this turn if able. And then whispers of the grace at the beginning of your end step. At the beginning of your end step. If a creature deals, if, if a creature step. died this turn, you may pay two you life. Pay two life. You do draw a card. 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 That's whispers of the grace echoed. This one's an uncommon one. I feel like uh, this one. I I have like nothing to say about this. Honestly, I'm just kind of like whatever. Yeah, it's a. It's not a too exciting. Four mana for a one three that conditionally lets you pay life to draw a card, but only on your turn and only on your end step and only one time. That's not. That's not doing a lot for you. However, it is a very fun card, and I think that if you are playing this at, uh, at, at in any kind of game or event. You absolutely have to whisper the entire time. It should be frustrating. You can't. <laughs> and and, and any time somebody, uh, I think, says Shesra Death's whisper, you should go whisper after it. Yeah. This is a meme card, and I love it. Ooh, I think we're in our final two. We're nope. God damn it! I keep. Um, There's just so many cards. Yep. Uh, all right, we got two more commanders, and then one more uh, multicolor card. Who is this? This is Volo, Guide to Monsters. He's two, a green, and a blue for four mana total. He's a legendary creature, human wizard. He is a three, two, and whenever you cast a creature spell that doesn't share a creature type with a creature you control or a creature card in your graveyard, copy that spell. And it clarifies, a copy of a creature spell becomes a token. Uh, this one's neat. This one is neat. I do like how Simic got, um... Kind of like a more fun build around instead of just something. I mean, actually, not in this set review, but in like like talking about Gretchen, who's just Thrasios uh, 2.0 essentially. But <laughs> yeah, this one's cool. Um, do you, you do have to note that like um, you're probably not running a ton of humans and wizards in your deck because Volo is a human and a wizard. So mm-hmm. when, as you cast the spell. In order to get this triggered ability, you are likely never going to get a second copy of the human or the wizard. Yeah, yeah, big big old bummer that it's got two really popular creature types. Um, but besides that, uh, this is an interest. This is a really interesting card. Um, mm-hmm. Getting free additional copies of creatures is no joke. Uh, and even if this, even if this doesn't trigger on every single creature in your deck, as long as it triggers on like the ones that are good then you're fine with that yeah because you probably want like some of your big like splashier creatures like avenger or sendikar uh crater hoof behemoth like things where you know you want the big amount of mana and then you just essentially like double that to like yeah. come in and then probably win you the game at that point yeah two crater hoof behemoths is gonna win you a lot of games two adventures of zendikar is i mean one is bad enough two is a real issue uh, yeah that's wipe the board or lose pretty much for sure 
trying to think of like blue creature, big blue creatures to. I'm just happy and excited that they made like an interesting and novel Simic commander because I feel like a lot of them get a little bit samey. Yeah, 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 yeah. That and I'm glad we're not talking about Gretchen. I feel like Blake are kind of just like ragging on her right now, and we got Volvo. He's he's a cool fun guy. He's in he's at the bar. It looks like he's making He's drinking. We're yeah, drinking. We, he's pretty much he's the he's third co-host on this podcast. That's right. All right, we got our last commander which is Tiamat to Wooberg, legendary creature Dragon God flying when Tiamat enters the battlefield. If you cast it, search your library for up to 5 dragon cards not named Tiamat that each have different names, reveal them, put them into your hand, then shuffle, and it's 7-7. Seven, seven. Yeah, so the nice thing is, you're playing Commander, so those five dragon cards are already not named Tiamat, and they already have different names, so that's just five dragon cards. That's true. Tutored on a stick. Uh, dragon decks have a lot of really broken things to do with a lot of mana, and this yeah. is another one, and I don't I've never actually like played a dedicated Dragon Commander deck, so I don't know if I can necessarily speak to whether or not this is worth playing over the other five-color Dragon Commanders, but uh, it's good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think strong effect when you think of the other five-color Dragon Commanders. You have Ur Dragon, Simon on the Ur Dragon, and then I feel like this one comes in like third place for like power level because like. You you can't like even cheat the ability of like you know go search your library for every time it enters the battlefield. It had to be cast, right? Yeah, exactly. That that that's kind of the one tricky part. Otherwise, like yeah, this would be pretty good. Uh, just refresh your hand with like five dragons every turn. Um, the nice thing is, I, I know it's worth pointing out that a lot of I feel like it's a recurring theme in, in like the dragon themed cards for caring about having dragons in your hand for a variety of reasons, whether you're revealing them for some reason or whether or not you're like putting dragons straight from your hand out of the battlefield. Uh, so this is a nice enabler for things like that. But also if you're running a dragon deck, I don't think you're necessarily stressing about it. It's it's I don't know. It's big. It's strong. It's splashy. It draws you cards that are guaranteed to be good. But this feels like the most dragony dragon card to me. Yeah, I think one other notable thing that I did learn recently is that um, Tiamat was the inspiration for Five-Headed Dragon, which is a very powerful, well, was a very powerful Yu-Gi-Oh card back in the day. Oh, really? Uh, which, you know, has like the, the five heads, can't be destroyed by like any type of monster that isn't light um it's like a 5000 5000 attack and defense points so you know it, it was a it was a sizable threat back then and it kind of like played into like when Yugi, Kaiba, Joey all of them went into like the Dungeons and Dragons world so it it was cool it, it was you know they're both flavorful um you know could do an alter version of five-headed dragon on here or vice versa Definite slam dunk flavor wise to have a, a five headed dragon that's a the five color card. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I feel like, you know, you can play this and then go find your white dragon, your black, blue dragon, green, black, red dragon. So yeah. Um our last multicolor card. Uh Alex, take us home. This one is called Skeletal Swarming. 
It's an enchantment for three, a black and a green for five mana total. Each skeleton you control has trample, attacks each combat if able, and gets plus X plus zero, where X is the number of other skeletons you control. At the beginning of your end step, create a tapped 1-1 black skeleton creature token. If a creature died this turn, create two of those tokens instead. Worth noting, it does not say non-token creature, so this does fuel itself. You have to attack with your skeletons every turn, which does make it hard to hold on to a large number of skeletons, though it does help in, in formats like Commander where you have multiple people. You're going to get your choice of who the best person to throw your skeletons at is. Yeah, this is a weird one. It's good in that it, it in, it's in two colors that really like, for a variety of strategies and decks, having tokens and really like having creatures that die. And this card sets up both of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could scale well. I guess I have a hard time seeing, like, it winning you the game. But I can see how, like, if you don't deal with this somewhat relatively soon, once it hits the field, it could then, like, cumulatively... Because, like, your skeletons will probably die because they're going to be small, weak. And then, um... You'll create more yeah, over the time. And, you know, eventually, so you go like one, two, four, eight. Yeah, I think it's mostly going to be about whether or not you find it worth it in your deck to pay five mana for the second effect of creating a tapped one one or in your deck that I assume has creatures dying all the time, two tapped one ones every turn. Mm-hmm. Um, it it kind of depends a, a bit on the, the power level of your meta because depending on how slow your games are, they, making a, a five-man enchantment that makes at best two one-ones every turn, you need, to, you need to really want those one-ones. That's a lot to pay for that effect, even if it is recursive. Yeah. All right. Well, we've gone through all the cards um, that we're going to be talking about today for uh, the main set. Um, We'll do another episode here shortly because there were four commander decks that came along with uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm. Um, But we just like final thoughts, like Alex, is there any like commander that you're super excited about or like a card that you're ready to like slam in the 99? Oh man, I wish Demi Lich was good and it's not. Uh, it's it's good, <laughs> but it could be better. Yeah, it's it's not for this format, and I wish it was. I wish it was for every format. I just like instant and sorcery things, and I like graveyard things. But uh, honestly, the the card I'm most excited about for this deck is the um, the the four mana instant that creates two treasures and is okay. a leading effect. Yeah, just because I literally have a commander deck currently built that that would love that card. Well, as we're recording this, this is we're recording this the day that whole breacher got banned. So I feel like you now have. I'm a, so sad. You have an open slot. You know exactly what card is not going to replace that. Yeah, going to replace Hull Reacher, which is a card that I bought for this deck because there were many treasure tokens and because it was blue, and then they went and banned it just because it was broken. I mean, it was a. We'll we'll have a different episode later in the future discussing our thoughts on like Hull Breacher banning and probably like the ban list. But I'm sad, man. I owned that card for like a month. I've never gotten to play it. Like, I I didn't really want to play it, but like that's besides the point. Alright, so uh, thank you, Alex, for joining us. Alex will also be with us as we go over the Commander decks when we rejoin Park and Blake. 
um, after they've gone through their tomb or dungeon. But we are the Wizard Sap Podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Make sure to leave a like and review. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Wizard Staff 101. Send us an email at thewizardstaff101 at gmail.com if you want to bitch and complain about how stupid Blake is. Thank you for listening, and we hope you have a great night. Peace. Peace.